Parshas Korach. I would title tonight's share Inspiring Confidence in Torah Leadership. Because what is our Parsha? But a rebellion against Torah leadership, the greatest Torah leadership, that of Moshe. And this issue, the issue to have confidence in our Torah leadership, resounds till this very day. Trusting Rabbanim, trusting educators, really trusting figures of authority in general. And certainly in this age, the Korach syndrome seems rampant. Cynicism towards authority, skepticism towards authority, and at times even actual rebellion. And the truth is, you see throughout our parsha that this is an issue which refuses to die down. It is a bug which refuses to leave the Jewish psyche. Even after Korach's rebellion is resolutely put down, When you think Moshe is on top, Hashem's miracles have conclusively shown whose side he's on when the earth itself swallows Korach and followers alive. But we see throughout our parsha that again and again the Jewish people continue to struggle with this issue. Beginning with Hashem's commandment in the immediate immediate aftermath of the story, when Hashem says, I want you to go pick up the fire pans, the fire pans which Korach's followers used. And I want you to make a covering for the Mizbeach out of those fire pans to be an eternal reminder of the story. Because down the road, people are again going to question Moshe Aaron, the leader, the Kohen Gadol. And we see it play out in real time because the Torah talks about the morning after. The, the morning after this showdown between Moshe and Korach. Believe it or not, the people blame Moshe and Aaron for what happened. They said, it's your fault. It's your fault. You killed Hashem's people. You're responsible for the earth swallowing Korach and followers alive. And later we find in our parsha, Hashem says, I need to do another miracle to convince the people. Aaron is special. I want all the tribes, all the Shvatim, really all the tribal leaders, to give their mata, give their staff, and Aaron will give his staff as well. And everyone will see that it's only Aaron's staff which blossoms. Thereby, through another visual symbolism, making it clear Aaron is special. But that's still not enough. The parsha tells us at the end that the Jewish people themselves tell Moshe, we can't contain ourselves. This issue of usurping Moshe and Aaron's role, we know it's going to continue to surface. We need help. And Hashem says, okay, I will give you help. I will have yet another mechanism to deeply impress upon Jewish consciousness the distinction of the Kohen. I will have them give matnas kahuna. I will have them give material gifts to the Kohen. Thereby it will become part and parcel of Jewish consciousness where it's where consciousness really feels, i.e. money, spending money. Through giving these matnas kahuna, 
hopefully for once and for all, they will learn to acknowledge the role of the Kohen. So what I'm bringing out here is again and again in our parsha, the Korach issue doesn't die down really. It continues to surface. Apparently this is, this for time immemorial has been a major existential issue. We Jews are a stiff-necked people and we don't take the notion of being followers or perceived followers very easily. And we give our leaders a very, very hard time. Seen this way, I want to find our parsha address, really address some of the skepticism which people have till this very day against their leadership. How do you set the people's cynicism to rest? And this is a timely lesson. Whether you are Rav, an educator, a parent, if you feel your dependents are skeptical of you, are questioning of you, what is the best response? How do you instill confidence when confidence has been lost? So it is very telling in our parsha a statement which Moshe makes. Amidst the Korach rebellion, when Moshe arranges this contest, this showdown, have Korach sacrifice incense Torahs and have Aaron do the same thing. Believe it or not, Moshe is not so sure that Aaron's going to win. He says, Hashem, please, al and al-manchasam, don't turn to Korach's carbon. Maybe you're going to accept Korach's. Please don't do that. And says Moshe, Hashem, you know why you shouldn't do that? I never took a donkey from the people. Hashem, please, appreciate the fact that I never took a donkey from the people. I never wronged anyone. Why of all moral wrongdoing which he seeks to, why of all suspicion of moral wrongdoing, does he mention a donkey? Sirashi says something very interesting. He was saying on his way down to Mitzrayim, he, I rode my own donkey. I didn't even conscript one of the people's donkeys to carry me. This is a timely subject, because think of Air Force One. Air Force One is quite an expense from what I understand. There's an Air Force Two, by the way, for the vice president, too. And by the way, Air Force One and Air Force Two, each one comes with an entire fleet of vehicles on the large plane, which kind of escort the president to the vice president. Now, you could justify that the leader deserves this. It's an appropriate executive expense. But says Moshe, I never even stooped to that. I rode on my own dime down to Mitzrayim. I never took a donkey. So think about this scene here. Here you have righteous Moshe. We know he's in the right. We know Korach's in the wrong. And yet he tells Hashem, Hashem, please ensure Korach doesn't win. Because I never wronged anyone. I never exploited executive privilege. The implication is Moshe is actually concerned. Maybe there is something to Korach's argument. Wrong as Korach might be, if Korach is picking up on a grain of truth here, if there is some wrongdoing on my part, there is going to be power to his argument and power to his movement and perhaps even spiritual power to his movement. Maybe Hashem will accept his karba. Says Moshe, Hashem, have me triumph because I always maintain the moral high ground. Says Moshe, 
I have an impeccable ethical slate. No one can find financial impropriety, exploitation, or any of those things. That's why I, Moshe, believe I should win. Powerful implication that if the leader's personal ethical standard is less than stellar, the claims will stick. Hashem himself might not vindicate the leader. The promise of Torah leadership triumphing is when Torah leadership shows itself to be stellar and deserving of the people's confidence. As Moshe says here, I never took a donkey. I never had an Air Force One. I never exploited the public dime. And this statement of Moshe, which to me is very powerful, staking his claim of leadership in his moral high ground is even more powerful when we turn from the parasha to the haftorah. The haftorah is always a selection from the navi, which is supposed to capture the parasha overall, the parasha's lesson overall. Well, the haftorah is from Sefer Shmuel. It is describing before Shmuel died, when he gathered the people together and, so to speak, gave his last lecture to the people. And you know what Shmuel tells the people? He says, Jewish people, if I ever wronged anyone, please step forward. I want to settle the score while I am alive. I want to work this one out. I want to pay financial restitution if I am liable. If I offended someone, I want to ask forgiveness. This is what Shmuel's doing before he dies. It seems to me that in selecting this Haftorah as the supplementary or complementary passage to Parshas Korach, Chazal are saying, like Moshe, Shmuel was able to overcome skepticism, cynicism, questions towards his leadership because he had this very transparent, ethically stellar approach, as in what he says here. If anyone has any issues, I want you to come forward. I am all about transparency, and that's why Shmuel is able to be a leader. And the power of this comparison, which I am bringing out, between Moshe and Shmuel is actually explicit in the text. Because in the Haftorah you will see, Shmuel uses almost the same words as Moshe. He says, Did I ever take anyone's donkey? Here we have the donkey figuring again. The donkey first founded Parshas Korach, now figuring in Sefer Shmuel in the Haftorah. Why the continued reference to the donkey? Well, it is all to bring up that Air Force One motif. The Air Force One, which wasn't in Torah leadership, whether Moshe, whether Shmuel, was not an engine. It was, it was not a jet engine. It would have been a potential donkey. Either one would have exploited from the people, Chas Vashal. Both speak in the same terms to point to a shared message. To be a successful leader, whether you're a Moshe or you're Shmuel, you need this ethical high standard. Otherwise, the claims, the suspicion, the skepticism will stick. This is a Shomrei Shir, so I hope it is appropriate if I mention a real compliment about our Rav Rabbi Marwak. Several years ago, 
I will speak obviously in a veiled fashion. Several years ago, there was a, an element in the community which was frankly not nice to him and questioned him and his credentials. And he told me at the time that he is taking the approach of moral high ground, showing that his slate is clean. And he said, all of this is going to die down. He's confident. And that's exactly what happened. Truth stands. When a Rav, when a Torah leader does not demean himself, does not lower himself to the lowest common denominator of the opposition, but rather maintains this Shmuel standard, this Moshe standard, truth ultimately wins, and the truth of Torah leadership, when it's true, sincere Torah leadership, ultimately wins. And really, when we return to our parsha, you see another indication of this in the fact that twice over, when Moshe and Aaron are accused by the people, they respond actually by praying on the people's behalf. At the time of the Korach rebellion, Moshe prays, Hashem, please don't take out the people. Don't let this one bad apple Korach, who is brainwashing the people, this demagogue Korach, don't let him speak for the people as a whole. And later in the parsha, when the people question Moshe and Aaron, it, it is Aaron who prays for them and seeks to save them with Ketoras. Moshe and Aaron's dogged defense of the people, even when, frankly, they don't deserve to be defended, even when they are very difficult. For lack of a better word, I will call this the adult position, but it's an, underst- an understatement, the leader position. And they say, though they wrong me, I am here for them. I am the leader. It is this power of the ethical standard of the leader, which I'm suggesting Parshas Korach is underscoring, this is what wins. Now, when we think about this entire issue, do the, does the slander stick? Does the claim of the rebellious elements, the renegade elements, everything which is written on the countless blogs, unfortunately, today, the unregulated medium, where, there, where there's much, much, you'll excuse me, cesspool type of stuff, which is unregulated, and people don't even have to stand behind their comments. People can just spout anything, right? And there's no, there's no, there's no consequences, so people could say anything, right? This question... If you've ever had the unfortunate experience to read some, some of that, the content, some of the dirty laundry which is hung out in that, those sort of forums, and you ask yourself, you can't help but ask yourself, is there any legitimacy in their claims? Their claims against leaders, their claim against Rabbanim. Well, one smell test smell test in assessing the claim. These people are power hungry. These people are in it for themselves. Well, let's ask, what sort of leader, what sort of monhag is this Rav, is this leader? Is he really in it for himself? Is he 
micro macromanaging the people to work towards his interest, to be cogs in the machine towards his interest? Or is he actually more of a Rebbe, more of a teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu? Is he more of an educator, this leader? That he sees it as his role to bring out the individuals. He is truly the, the parent, the adult. I am, here to, I am here to, in my position of authority, to cultivate the people, to cultivate the rank and file. This is brought out by a powerful expression in our parsha. When Moshe davens to Hashem, Hashem, please don't side with Korach. And moreover, please do not let Korach badmouth the rest of the people. See Korach as a rotten apple and the rest of the Jewish people as innocent. Moshe uses the words, Hashem alukei haruchos, Hashem the God of the spirits, which Rashi says means, Moshe says, Hashem, I know you're the God of individual spirits. You don't place everyone in one basket. You appreciate people as individuals and see them as individuals with individuals need, individual needs. Well, I suggest when Moshe in our parsha speaks of his vision of Hashem as Hashem, a God of the spirits, Hashem, a God of individuals. Moshe is actually reflecting his own perspective, his own Salam Elohim, his own aspiration to be like Hashem as a leader is because he himself is a leader of the Ruchos, a leader who uses his position to foster the needs of the individual. And this is brought out by a supplementary text because in a few parshios, in Parshas Chukas, when Moshe realizes that he's going to die and he's not going to make it into the land, and Moshe requests a successor, listen to the words Moshe uses to request a successor. He says, Hashem alokei haruchos, Hashem the God of the spirits. Appoint ish asher ruachbo, appoint a man of the spirits. Explains Rashi the same thing. Moshe saying, you know what it takes to be a leader? You need to be sensitive to the needs of the individual, not to give a lock, stock, barrel answer to, to different people. You need to be here for the individuals. Hear the echo, hear the reverberation in the text. Just as Moshe Nars Parsha speaks of Hashem as Elokei Haruchos, the God of the spirits, he says no less to be a leader like him. You need to be a leader of the spirits. It is the same idea. It is a model of leadership which is divine. Think about Hashem. Hashem doesn't need us to the best that we can imagine what Hashem is trying to do in creating this world. He is certainly not creating a world because he needs a tribe of people to exploit and rule over. He doesn't need anything. He's creating this world out of love. He is seeking to elevate us and facilitate the needs of each individual. Well, a leader, a Moshe Rabbeinu, literally Moshe, our teacher, is an educator. I am here for the people. It is not about me. So powerful that Moshe uses in our parsha the same words to describe Hashem, which he later uses to describe himself and what he's seeking in his successor. Someone who is sensitive to the needs 
of the individual. And I would actually suggest therein lies the powerful contrast between Moshe and his nemesis Korach, who's saying, I will make a better leader. For all Korach's talk of populism, oh, I am here because it ought to be a more democratic system. We all know the truth, as Rashi says. Korach's entire claim of democratic system is to promote one person. Yeah, he spouts, I want everyone to have the chance. But he is also clearly exploiting the people and exploiting different individuals' grievances in the direction of promoting his, Korach's, candidacy. And, and as you read Rashi in the parasha, it becomes very clear that he is almost in a demonic way preying on different people, whether Dustin Naviram and various people who have their own gripes and their own personal victimhoods towards Moshe. Korach speaks the talk, oh, I'm here for you, I'm not here for myself. When, when stepping out of the story, it is so clear he is using the needs of the individual to promote himself. In the inverse of Moshe, who sees leadership as more of a responsibility, than an opportunity for power. If I may quote a personal familial story, my paternal grandfather, Professor Marshall Scler, known largely as a great scholar, great scholar of Jewish sociology, but he was a real educator. His excellence was in personal relationships to students and mentoring of students no less than in his scholarship of his subject matter. And students would seek his mentorship all the time. Relationship questions, professional questions, job questions, whatever it might be. And my grandfather, all of a sudden, used to say this story that there was this 19-year-old student, this undergrad, who marches in one day and he says, Professor Sclair, I want to be king of the Jews. That's what I want to become. How do I become that? I want to be king of the Jews. So my grandfather, who was very much of a 1950s, 1960s, classical, pre-1970s sort of, real gentleman in the old, almost statesman type of way, was not thrown by it. He said, oh, I think what you're saying when you want to be king of the Jews, I think that means that you want a position of leadership, right? You want leadership. Let me explain what Jewish leadership is all about. And suffice it to say, by the end of the conversation, the, the kid said, oh, that's what it involves? Uh-uh, not for me. So true leadership, on a very simplistic level, it's the needs of the people rather than the other way, the inverse, the korach, using the people to promote self. And this, I want to suggest, we can find this idea, the perversion of Korach. Korach, who actually does not believe in individuals at all. He sees every person, he sees every individual and their gripes as really a way to promote himself, is borne out by a fascinating motif in the parsha, a, a repeated object, which keeps on appearing throughout the parsha. And that is, believe it or not, 
the issue of hair and balding. Sounds pretty banal, no hair and balding. But for some reason, we see the issue of hair or balding appearing again and again throughout the parish. For starters, there's a well-known Gemara, which tells us that when did this whole Korach thing start? This whole Korach thing started in Parshas Bahaloscha, when as part of the ritual of the Levian's position, they had to cut their hair and shave themselves bald. So Korach was a levy, so he came home we would say, with a crew cut. And Korach's wife, ever the vain woman, said, you look ugly. Your skull looks like a melon. And Korach said, well, this is the ritual Moshe told us. And Korach's wife and her perverted thinking said, Moshe is doing this. Moshe is insisting that Levim like you shave their heads because he wants you to look ugly. Well, Korach says, hold on, Moshe's a levy. So Moshe also endured the shaving. And Karach's wife says, yes, he is ready to look ugly himself, if that will allow you to look ugly too, if he can pull the wool over. And now, now, what a banal tale. And the Gemara breathes meaning into this tale, as this is what provoked Korach, his wife's stupid comment about his bald skull. There must be a symbolism behind the baldness phenomenon here. And it is especially intriguing when we stop for a second and we think about the name Korach itself, Kufreish Ches. What does the, that word mean in Hebrew, Kufreish Ches? Koreach, Kufreish Ches means balding. Korach in English was Mr. Bald. How intriguing, the man's name means bald? And we have this tale, which again, seems so petty. But this midrashic tale in the Gemara that actually what provoked Korach to begin with was his wife's fixation on his baldness. And if that wasn't enough, certainly you remember the Gemara, the medrash which we teach children about a righteous woman in the story. And that is the wife of On Ben Palas. You recall, On Ben Palas was originally a cohort of Korach. Korach lured this fellow On into the picture. And Onben Palace's wife told her husband, stop this. You know Korach's in this for himself. He's not in this for you. And Onben Palace eventually says, you're right. But what can I do? I made a gentleman's promise to Korach. I got to stick this one out. I got to stick. So she said, let me take care of it. She gave him wine to drink. She put him to bed. And then what she did was, hear this, she sat at the door of her tent and undid the braids of her hair, which was considered uh, scandalous in those days, as we know. And when Korach's people came up, what was seen as an exposed woman, they ran away. Now, again, we think of this as a banal petty tale. But taking a step back, what a coincidence, in quotes, that hair and baldness keeps creeping up in this story. There must be some symbolism here to hair versus baldness as reflected by the very name Korach. So let's think, what does hair evoke? What is the evocative power of hair? And at the same time, on the other side of the coin, the evocative power of a bald skull. Well, in my mind, hair 
hair in terms of its texture, hair in, ter in terms of its visuals. Hair really brings out the individual. We all have a skull. It is my hair which frames my face, and in a very powerful way, my hair, whatever other facial hair I have, which frames me as a person, as an individual. And this is very clear in the military. We know in the military, when they want soldiers to shed their sense of individuality, because a military does not function well when people are, so to speak, healthy people who think about themselves. Because in the military, you need to lose some of that sense of self and survival instinct. You need to, a conscripted soldier needs to be willing to give up personal needs for the need of the army. And his commanding officer will say, run into the line of fire. He needs, to be, he needs to be conditioned somehow to be willing to do that. So what do they do? They give a crew cut. It's made a powerful impression on me since childhood. When, when I saw salt training soldiers with the shaven heads. So on some level, they all look like skulls. So hair symbolizes individuality and my personal beauty, my personal, my sense of self. I am not just a head. Not just a bobblehead. Korach's name Korach, Mr. Bald now, I suggest, needs. Ironically, Korach, for all your talk about grassroots rebellion, you are telling people I'm in this for you. Korach, you don't believe in individuality at all. It is Moshe who believes in individuality. It was Moshe who speaks of ruchos, individual spirits, as we traced before. Korach, you see all people as tools, tools to promote yourself. You really see them as your foot soldiers to exploiting your cause. If you could, you would indoctrinate them all and you would bold them all in the cause. And when your wife points a finger at Moshe for bolding you, it is really a projection going on here. Call a posel bamuma posel. You're Mr. Bold. You seek to undermine people's rebellion, to people's individuality. Think now of the flip story about the wife of Om Ben-Palas. What is the deeper meaning to her exposing her hair to shave her husband? Well, think about it. When Korach's henchmen stepped forward to Own's, Own's tent to bring Own right over. Join us. Join the club. Join this brainwashed gang. Something very interesting happened. It was when they saw her hair that immediately the power of their message died down. I suggest the power of her hair, the inverse of Korach baldness, means there's something called an individual and personal need, which is not surrendered for the needs of the public. Let's develop this a little more. On a simplistic level, when Korach's men stepped away in recognition of Tzniyas, there's an exposed woman here, the wife of Om Ben-Palas. You know what she was really telling them? Why are you stepping away? Because you recognize I am not yours. I am his. As his wife. 
I embody in my very being the notion that he has a private life. Well, you appreciate that in terms of there is a zone you don't tread. Tznius. Tznius is not simply a Victorian moral notion, but it is on a deeper level the recognition. There is an individual here with his own zone, with his own space, with his own life, which is inviolable. It's not yours, it's his. And it is not the teens, it is not the gangs. It's his, just as I am his, as reflected by my hair and its beauty, which luring as it might be to you, you step away because you recognize it's his, it's not yours. I, says the wife of Oman Pellis, embody that he has an involatile private space, which is his. Well, it is that involatile private space which needs to be accepted here in realms beyond the bedroom. More broadly, he has a life, he has an inner world, he has his own dreams, he has his own passions, and I am not going to allow him, says the wife of Omba Palace, to surrender that in becoming a company man here, as you, Korach, want him to become. So that is, I believe, the powerful message of the balding, the evocative message of the hair versus the balding, figuring as so prominent a motif in the story. The power of Moshe's claim to leadership, the power of any leader's ability to be what I'm going to call non-adhesive. And what do I mean when I say non-adhesive? That things won't stick to him. That all the barbs, all the stuff, all the mucky stuff, which is almost inevitably thrown at a leader's way. It kind of comes with the territory. But the power of a leader to survive that, in that he's not adhesive, it just doesn't stick to him, to a large extent lies in the leader's ability to maintain that moral high ground. And that despite what the people hear, despite the demagoguery, they know I am here for them. On some level, they know that as much as the opposition is speaking in terms of I am here for you guys, every demagogue always says that. I am here for the little guy. I am here to rip up, to pull out the carpet, the present carpet. I am here to pull down the present structure of governance and they're like, all to promote you, the serf, all to... The people are more discerning, hopefully. Hopefully, if the present leader can authentically show simply in the way they've comported themselves, I am a rabbeinu, I am, so to speak, an educator, I am like Hashem, I am here for the individual, I am elevated by Hashem, but for the people. As much as a Moshe Aaron system might not be election by the people, but by Hashem, it is by Hashem, but for the people. I'm going to suggest it is only when the leader's behavior reflects the for the people that the leader will walk away not only squeaky clean, but ultimately venerated and revered by the people as what happens to Moshe at the end in this week's parsha. 
So therefore, I would like to suggest the meta theme of the parsha, restoring confidence in Torah leadership, really places the responsibility on the leader. You need to be the type of leader who instills that sort of confidence. May it be the will of Hashem that all of us, in all of our, I'm going to call it positions of leadership, we all have a domain in life where we are the responsible party. We are in the adult position. And sometimes our underlings do not respond well. They throw hostility our way, which is frankly undeserved. But may we all, like Moshe, display simply by our code of conduct how ridiculous the claims are. May the claims pathetically ring hollow simply by virtue of the positions, the Moshe's, and as the Zohar says, Moshe is not a man, but Moshe is a leader in every generation. All of us have a little bit of Moshe in us in terms of our role, parents as leaders of the family, educators, whatever it might be, in Kodesh or Chol capacities. This moral high ground is very, very powerful. It does not... It does not prevent the accusations. It does not prevent the mucky stuff. But I suggest it is all we have to be non-adhesive, as I'm calling it, to hopefully ensure that in the long run, this stuff won't stick. Amen. Can you hear